This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Kevin. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and I'll be guiding us on our journey together this morning. And a couple of things you're going to want to grab to, to help you as we get started. Uh, definitely, and I say, this, I say this most weeks, but you're definitely today going to want to listen to me. Even if you tune me out every other week, you're going to want to hear me today. You're going to want to grab this card that says start here and just put your name on it and just put your email address on it. You don't even have to do anything else yet. But if I earn your trust by the end of our time together, I'm just going to ask you to do something with this a little bit later. But at least for your sake, so you're not that guy or that gal who's sitting here not doing anything right now, at least for your sake, just pretend. Just pretend to put your name and email. You can just even hold the pencil over the top. I won't even know, but I can see you if you're just staring at me right now. So just put your name and email address on this and and then flip over to the back really quickly because I want to give you an opportunity No requirements, just an opportunity. If you've been coming to New Life for the past, I don't know, two weeks, two days, two months, two years, and you're like what you see, you're enjoying this community, you you, you think there's something unique about it, and you just keep coming back to be part of what we're doing here at New Life. If you like it, even if you came at Christmas Eve and this is your first time back, if you like what you see, I need to talk to you for a second because one week from today, we have a class that we call Intro. And Intro basically talks about the heartbeat of new life, how our heart beats and why it beats and and how what God has called us to do, how that kind of moves and navigates everything we do as a church. And I'm telling you, if you like what you see now, you're going to love what you see if you go through intro. So if you've never gone through intro and if you're new-ish to new life, Pastor Ron leads that. And on the back of your card that says start here, it says, I want to respond to something in the nutshell. It just says intro. There's a bunch of information in your programs about intro to tell you about it. Basically, all you'll do is it's at the 10 a.m. service. You'll drop your kids off in kids ministry. You'll go to the classroom directly across from us in the lobby, and you'll have a great time during the service in intro learning about who God has invited us to be as a church community. And I'm telling you, if you like us now, you're going to love us then. And if you're kind of on the outskirts thinking, I don't know, now I can tell you, you're going to want to be part of us when you go through intro. So sign up for it. It'll be key. It'll be key. And you can just mark intro and then Pastor Ron and his team will connect with you this week. The other thing you want to grab out of your programs that will help you on this journey are your teaching notes. The top of it says musical chairs, and and we're going to be using this today. We've got some Bible verses, some fill-in-the-blanks, and then some opportunities for you just to write down your own thoughts and ideas on there as well. So go ahead and get those filled out. We are in week two of a series that we're calling Ask It. And the, the, the genesis of this series came when I heard a message preached from a pastor in the South about a year and a half ago, and he said, that there's one question, and if you would just ask this one question, it could eliminate 90% of the do-overs that you wish you could do over in your life. And he intrigued me. And so I've been asking this question in my life, and it has changed the way I view decision-making, the way I view every single day and every single area of my life. And if you would just ask it, I believe that what God has done in my life through this, he can do in yours. He can eliminate 90% of those, those things you look back and say, I wish I could do it over. And so we're just taking that, and I'm just, we're teasing out that idea. We're playing with that series that sparked uh, in me about a year and a half ago, because here's what I believe about you. Even if we've never had a chance to sit down together, here's what I know, because you and I aren't, we aren't that different. Neither of us, neither of us wants to look back on last year and believe that last year was our best year. There's not one of us in this room who says, or who wants to say, man, my 20s, 
those were the best years of my life. You remember, you remember high school, man, that was the best year of my life. None of us wants to be that guy at the 20 year high school reunion saying, let's talk about my high school basketball career. You don't want to be that guy. None of us wants to look back and say, man, 1975, that was my year. And if you do, just show us a picture. We'll tell you, you don't want that to be your best year. And in the same way, none of us wants to look back on 2014 and say that was the best year and it's all downhill from here. We all want to believe. Something in our spirit just kind of, it, it, it turns inside of us to believe that, that this year, 2015, will have less regret and less pain and, and less needless heartache than last year had. There's, there's something in us that believes that this year could hold the potential to have less of those desired do-overs than last year and two years ago and five years ago. And, and something in us, maybe you've never put words to it, but something in us wants to believe that this year holds more promise and more potential and more, more joy and more fulfillment than last year held. And so what we're doing is we're asking, how do we, how do we hedge our bets to help ensure that this year is better than last year? that our best of our life is not behind us, but that the best of our life is ahead of us because the life that, that God created us to live is a life that actually continues to go up like this and doesn't do a bell curve and come back down. He wants your life to be better every single year. How do we hedge our bets? Is there something we could do? And we've decided that there's one question, and I'm just going to give you a, a quick five-minute flyby of all of last week, but I'm, I'm telling you, you want to come every week because I can't do justice in five minutes to what we talked about for 35 minutes last week, but but there's one question. We'll do a quick flyby, some review to get us all on the same page, because as much as I'd like to believe that all you do all week long is think about what I say, I know that's not true. My wife laughed. That's disappointing. That's, that's, you're the one person who I was kind of hoping. So here's the big question for this entire series. What is the wise? What is the wise thing for me to do? And in this whole series, we're not talking about right and wrong. It's better than right or wrong. We're not talking about legal or illegal because we all know there are certain things we've done in our life that they were not illegal, but they led to some of our biggest relational regret, financial regret, uh, vocational regret. It wasn't illegal, but man, we regret doing it. It's better than legal or illegal. What's the wise thing for us to do? Because if you and I trace back some of our biggest regrets in life, we could see with crystal clarity that our biggest regrets did not start with a wrong decision. But they started way back here with a series of unwise decisions. And as we marched those unwise decisions forward, they led us to a cliff of a wrong decision. And it was that wrong decision that we couldn't take back. It's, it's a series of unwise choices that we walked out that led us to a life-changing wrong choice, that, that led us to a marriage-ending wrong choice. And they, they weren't wrong back here. They just weren't wise. That led us to a, a financially devastating wrong choice. And here's what we believe at New Life. We believe that God loves you, that he loves you more than you love you. He loves you more than you can imagine. And, and if that holds true, that God is a God that loves you even more than you love you, wouldn't it make sense that God wouldn't be satisfied with just talking about wrong choices right here? Because once we're here, we're already almost over the edge. Wouldn't it make sense that if God really loves us, he would talk about wise choices way over here to keep us way far away from the choices that are most destructive? 
And so we're asking in light of three dimensions, what's the wise choice? And here are the three dimensions we talked about last week. In light of my past experience, what is the wise thing for me to do? Because your past is just that. It's yours. It's not mine. It's not his. It's not hers. So it might be fine for him to go grab a beer tonight, but it might not be wise for you to grab a beer tonight because of your past experiences. It might be fine for her to be out two nights, but it might not be fine for you to be out two nights this week because of your past experiences. Your past is uniquely yours. And so we're asking this question in light of my past, what's the wise thing for me to do? And then in light of my current circumstances, what's the wise thing for me to do? We have some friends who just had a baby on on Wednesday. In light of the fact that they just had a baby this week, what's the wise thing for them to do? In light of the fact that you just got married, what's the wise thing for you to do? What are the wise choices for for you to make? In, In light of the fact that you need to nail this class this semester, what's the wise thing for you to do? Remember, not right or wrong, just just wise. In light of your past experiences, in light of your current circumstances, and then in light of in light of my future hopes and dreams, in light of the fact that we want our kids to say about us in 20 years, she is one of the best women I've ever met. He is one of the best men I've ever seen. In light of the fact that in 20 years, we want people to look at our marriage and say, man, I want to be like them someday. In light of your future hopes and dreams, in light of the fact that that at some point, we're not going to be able to do the work that we currently do, and we would like to have some money saved up so that we can live out those last days in, in relative uh, financial security. In light of your future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing to do today? Because we've all, we've all had the experience of borrowing from our future to buy something today, and it was never as good as we thought it would be. So in light of our future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do today? And what I want to do today is I want to talk about one of the greatest gifts that God ever gave us, and it's the gift of choice. Because even though there's, there's wisdom and there are wise things to do, did you know? Did you know that God loves you and he respects you so much that he gives you the freedom to choose the wise thing or other things? See, God's a gentleman. He won't force himself on any of us. But God gives us free choice, and his hope in that free choice is that we would choose him, and that we would choose wisdom, and we would partner with him. But there are other options. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about some of the other options. If we choose not to to be wise, if we choose not to make the wise choice, what are the other choices that we're accidentally choosing? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a guy named Solomon today. And Solomon, you can find him, his writings in the Old Testament of the Bible. But here's some background on Solomon. Solomon is richer than you will ever be. You can't even dream of the kind of money. He had stupid money. Solomon had, had wipe yourself with $100 bills kind of money. That's what kind of money Solomon had. More money than you'll ever make. More money than you can dream of. Solomon had money. He was rich. Solomon was powerful. He was a king, one of the most well-known kings in the ancient world. Solomon was famous. I'm not talking Bieber famous. I'm talking like president famous. He was famous. He was worldwide. He was well-known. And Solomon was wise. We're told he was one of the wisest people who ever lived. He was so wise 
that neighboring kingdoms would shut down their entire government for weeks and sometimes months. And kings and queens would bring their most respected officials and they would shut down their kingdom and they would travel with their most respected officials to Solomon's house and they would sit and just ask him questions for days and weeks and months at a time, leaving their kingdom behind just to glean from Solomon's wisdom. And I know what you're thinking. Some of us, we drive from Roner Park to come here and we feel like, man, that's a long journey. It's not compared to Solomon. These guys traveled for weeks just to hear his wisdom. And here's the best part about Solomon's teaching. We don't have to travel for weeks and months to hear it. He wrote it down for us, and it's been saved in the Bible in a couple different spots. But what we're going to look at today is the book of Proverbs. And in the book of Proverbs, Solomon says there are four different categories of people. Four basic seats you can sit in. The first one we talked about last week, the first one is the seat of wisdom. And, and I chose a rocking chair for the seat of wisdom because rocking chairs just strike me as wise. They always have. But then it struck me as especially wise when I heard a story about one of my favorite people in the world, Pastor Ron. Now, Pastor Ron, if you've met him, he is one of the wisest people I know. He's got that wise sage thing going on about him. And his family tells a story, his extended family, of one time they were having a big conversation. And Pastor Ron happened to be sitting in a rocking chair during that. So all of a sudden, his wisdom quotient obviously went up because he's a wise guy in a wise seat. And he listened to everybody talk about it. And I, I don't quote me exactly— he listened to everybody talk and share their thoughts and share their ideas about a pretty heavy topic. And then, and then he quoted the Bible because one of the wisest things you can do is quote the Bible. Um, but, but he said basically this. He was paraphrasing. He said, well, coming from the seat of wisdom, and, and his family stopped in there because your family never gives you any grace. And he had his hands back, you know, like Ron does in the, in the seat of wisdom. And they just laughed because it just kind of came across like, well, coming from the seat of wisdom, let me share with you what you need to know. So, so I've always thought rocking chairs are wise, but now especially with that story about Pastor Ron, uh, this is our seat of wisdom. And we talked all about that last week, but, but Solomon says there are actually three other seats that you can sit in. And I just want to warn you right now, the other three seats are offensive, okay? They're not good. Now, I say that because I'm just going to read what Solomon said. So if you're mad at somebody, get mad at, at the most famous guy, the richest guy, the smartest guy you've ever heard of. Don't get mad at me. I'm just the messenger. I'm just reading the paper. I'm not writing it. So, so he says there are other seats. And what I want to do is I want to look at those other seats that we find in the book of Proverbs. And, and by the way, Proverbs is a whole book about how to be wise, and it's 31 chapters. And if you're here today and you're thinking, I'd like to learn how to be wise, can I suggest you take a chapter of Proverbs every day for a month, and then you just keep on rereading it, and you will learn wisdom. Whether you're a Jesus follower or not, it will benefit you in incredible ways. And if you don't have a Bible and you want one, right outside these doors, there's a table. There are Bibles there. Just take one as a gift on your way out. We'd love to give that to you. So the first seat, wisdom. The second seat, the second seat. He says there's a seat of what he calls the simple person, the simple person. And I put the simple person in this little tiny chair because they are simple, simple. So is a simple person. And, and Solomon talks all about the simple person in Proverbs chapter 7, but it's a really long section. And so I'm going to do a flyover and tell you about it, but I put it in your notes so you could go back and read Proverbs 7, 6 through 27. Here's what Solomon says are the characteristics of the simple person. He says the simple person, the simple person is young, generally. The simple person has no sense. It's like, ooh, that's, that's offensive. Yeah, it is. It is. He says you have no sense 
The simple person is naive. The simple person is ignorant, and the simple person is easily deceived. Who wants to sit in this chair? That sounds fantastic. Let me warn you, they just get worse as it goes on. Generally, Solomon says, the simple person is simple simply because they're young. They're young. From the age of 16 to the age of 20, from the time I got my license in those first four years, I was driving in at least four car accidents, and I was passenger in another three. In my first four years of driving, since then, in the last 13 years, I have been in zero car accidents. Why? Why? Because I lacked experience to know how to drive a car well. I lacked the experience that that would say, that car is not going to stop at that light. That car is changing lanes. I can see that person's eyes. I know where they're going. I lacked experience to know, well, they're stopping up there. I should probably slow down back here. So I would smash into other cars. It wasn't that I was wicked. It's just that I lacked experience. It wasn't malicious. I, I, was, I was just simple. I was just simple in my understanding of how to drive a car. Solomon says that, that simple people, here, here's how they look at wisdom. Simple people hear wisdom, and because of their lack of experience, simple people say things like this, well, nothing bad is going to happen to me. Simple people say, I can handle it. I can handle it. I got it. Simple people say, you're overreacting. And if you're a parent, you've heard each of those phrases from your teenager. It's not going to happen to me. You're overreacting. I can handle it. Why? Because your teenager lacks experience that you have. They are simple simply because they are young. I remember I was, I was uh, 14. I was a freshman in high school the first time I drove a car over 80 miles an hour. And here's how it took place. Uh, I was out with some guys who were seniors in high school. I was a freshman in high school. I wanted to be cool. I'd never touched alcohol in my life. But that night they said, we're going to play a fun game. And I'm not going to tell you what game it is because some of you young people will look it up. We're going to play a fun game. And you're going to go first. And they got me drunk. (laughs) I got me drunk. And then one of the high school guys, the, the senior, said, hey, I've got a Camaro. Let's go take a drive. You can drive it. And I said, that sounds like an excellent idea. And so I hopped in his Camaro on Main Street in Glendora, California, this little tiny Mayberry town, and I went at least 80 or 90 miles an hour, drunk, driving down Main Street at midnight. That was my first experience driving a car. Because what did I think? I can handle it. It's no big deal. Nothing bad is going to happen to me. I was simple because I lacked experience. And if you're young, if you're young, Solomon says, be weary because you lack experience. It's not that you're malicious. It's just that you lack the experience that you need. So if you're here today and you're in your early 20s or younger, I want to talk to you for a second, and I'm going to tell you a secret. So, so I just, it's just me and you. If you're in your early 20s or younger, just, just me and you, okay? I'm going to tell you a little secret. Most of the people in this room, and no one else is listening. This is just us. Most of the people in this room, they wish they could be you, okay? They wish they could eat the things you eat and not gain weight. They wish they could wear the clothes you wear and not look ridiculous. They wish they had less responsibility like you have and more freedom like you have. They, they wish they had more discretionary time like you have right now. 
A lot of people in our society, they, they love, they look back on their 20s and say, I wish I could do that over again. They, they wish they could be you. And I'm just telling you that right now. I just want to tell you that real quick. Because if you're here and you're in your early 20s or younger, I've got some, some good news and I've got some bad news. I'll start with the bad news first. The bad news is, if you're here and you're in your early 20s, your default, your default is to sit in the chair of the simple person. You are simple. Not maliciously, just because you lack experience. You lack experience. And it's not your fault that you lack experience, but you need to know more often than not, you sit right there because you haven't had to deal with the consequences of your actions. You haven't had to deal with a failed marriage. You haven't had to deal with bankruptcy. You haven't had to deal with addiction. Or, or if you're young, if you're a teenager right now and you're addicted to something, you're in the fun stage of addiction, not the relationship-ending, job-firing stage of addiction. And so you haven't had to deal with the consequences of it, and you're just simple. If you're in your teens, your early 20s, you, you haven't damaged your sexuality to the extent that you wonder, can I ever be intimate with anyone ever again? You haven't had to deal with the consequences of expressing and exploring your sexuality in unhealthy ways. And it's not your fault, but you're simple because you lack the experience. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. You, if you're in your early 20s or younger, you can have it all. You can have it all. All the freedom of being young, all the excitement of being young, You can wear whatever you want. You can pierce whatever you want. You can tattoo whatever you want, and no one cares. And, and, you can have all the wisdom of the wise at the same time. You can have all the perks of being young without the downfall of being simple. But if you're young, and and hear me out, if you're young, you have to seek wisdom. You have to seek it. You'll get wisdom from one of two ways. You'll either get it based on regret for making choices that you did not have to make, or you will get it by learning from people who have gone before you. You don't have to make all the mistakes of your parents and your aunts and your uncles and your grandparents to gain the wisdom that they have today. I've heard people say before to me, I I just had someone recently say this, I wouldn't change any of my past because it's made me the person I am today. And, and I want to humbly and respectfully disagree with you. You could be the person that you are today without having to have all that hurt and pain in your past if you would have sought the choice of the wise instead of being simple. So if you're here and you're a junior high or senior high student, I want to talk to you for a minute. If you're in junior high or senior high, you need, listen, you need to be at a live, our student ministry gatherings that happen on Sunday evenings at 6.30. You need to be here, not just because it's fun. It is fun. They do some really cool stuff that, again, that grown-ups wish they could do, but they can't because they're old. Like me, like 34 next month is old. You need to be here, though, because at Alive, you're going to gain wisdom from leaders who love God and love you and want to speak into your life. You need to be here. And parents, if you're a parent of a teenager, you need to make it a priority to get your students to alive so that they can gain wisdom. Because listen, if you don't bring them here now, I guarantee you, you will bring them here when they make the unwise choice that the simple person makes. And at that point, you'll be bringing them saying, can you fix them? Can you help them? Can you make them better? But why wait until they have some of their major regrets on their own? Bring them now. Parents, please, please, 
make student ministries a priority for your students so that they can gain wisdom because they don't have to sit here. And if you're in your early 20s, here's how you can seek wisdom. Join a life group. Join a life group. Join a 20-somethings life group because there's something about the collective wisdom, even though you're roughly the same age, about the collective wisdom. They've already made the bad choice that you're thinking about making. The collective wisdom that actually raises your age of intelligence. Join a 20-somethings life group or join a multi-generational life group and learn from those who have gone before you. One of my favorite life groups was when I was 22 and the next youngest person was about 36. And I learned so much from those who had gone before me. Join a life group. The rest of us wish, wish we would have learned at your age the things that you could learn now if you choose wisdom. So that's the first seat, the seat of the, the simple person. The second seat, that Solomon talks about is the seat of the fool. The seat of the fool. Yeah. The fool is like the simple person in the sense that they do the wrong things. But the the fool is different than the simple person because the simple person doesn't know they're doing the wrong thing. The fool knows they're doing the wrong thing and they do it anyway. Here's how you know if you sit in the seat of the fool. According to Solomon, not according to me. You sit in the seat of the fool if If someone says to you, hey, have you looked on the side of the package? It says, this will cause cancer. This will kill you. And you say, yeah, I know. I can read. (laughs) If someone says to you, someone says to you, hey, when you did that in your last marriage, it was devastating. And now you're doing it again in this marriage. And you say, yeah, I know. I was there. I was there. He says, you are acting like a fool. And here's what Solomon says about fools. You're going to, you're going to like this. If you're, if you're kind of offended now, just wait. Solomon says this. He says in Proverbs 26, as a dog returns to its vomit. Now just sit there for a second with that picture. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. As a dog, as a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. If your friends, if your friends are bold enough to say to you, hey, those unhealthy choices that you're making with your food and with your lifestyle, they will cut 5, 10, 20, 30 years off of your life. And you say, I know, and I don't care. Solomon says you are choosing not to sit here, and you've actually moved beyond here to the seat of the fool. Because you know that you're hurting yourself, and you're doing it anyway. And who would do that? He says only a fool would knowingly hurt themselves. And my guess, my guess is if, if you're here today and in some area of your life you find yourself sitting in this seat, you're, you're sitting there for, for three reasons. There are three things that you don't realize. The first is this. You don't realize how valuable you are. Because if you knew how valuable you were, you would not make choices to hurt you. The second thing you don't realize, you don't realize how loved you are. How loved you are by God who created you and knows you and has a plan for your life and how loved you are by other people. Because if you knew how valuable you were and how loved you were, you would not make choices that hurt you. And finally, you don't realize the impact that your life has on other people. 
You believe a lie. And here's the lie that you believe. You believe that your bad choices only affect you. When the truth is your bad choices leave a wake of destruction behind you that impacts the people that you love the most in this world. And they're the ones who will suffer for your foolish actions. I have a buddy. And when I was in college, I smoked at least a half a pack a day for about two and a half years. A funny thing, I started smoking when I found out my aunt had cancer. Uh, so figure that one out. That was my first cigarette. I threw up, and then I had another one because I'm not a quitter. That's a true story. And I had a buddy who loved me enough that he would ride by on his skateboard, and he would say to me when I was smoking cigarettes in my dorm, outside the dorm, he would say to me, when you're done killing yourself, come on over to my house. Here's what he meant. You are a fool. You're hurting yourself, and I love you too much to take a part in your foolish behavior. So when you're done hurting yourself, because you're not just going to hurt you, you're going to hurt me too, my buddy said. Then come over to my house and hang out with me. If you find yourself in this seat, here's what you need to do. You got to do something new. You got to do something new. God won't do a new thing if you keep doing the same old thing. He won't do a new thing. And we all want a new thing from God. New life, new joy, new peace. But he won't do a new thing if you keep on doing the same old thing. So realize this, that your choices are leaving a wake of destruction that are going to hurt the people you love the most. That's the first thing you need to do. Realize how, how important, how valuable, how loved you are and the impact that you have. And the second thing you need to do, if you find yourself in this seat, you need to join a life group. Oh, you're getting a theme. Good. By the way, we'll be promoting our life groups in about a half hour, so if you were wondering. A life group's just a group of people, 8, 10, 12 people, who love you, who love God, and who are seeking wisdom. And here's what you want to do. You want to join a life group, and then you want to ask them some questions. And if you're in this life group, and 10 people are saying one thing, and you are saying something different, let's just assume that they are right, and you are a fool. Let's just assume. Let's just assume. Because, listen, when you join a life group, they don't want your life to be worse. Everyone in that group wants your life to be better. So here's my suggestion. If you find yourself in some area of your life in this seat— Join a life group, and then if 10 other people are saying one thing, just do what they say. It will be better for you in the long run. It will be better for you. They don't want to hurt you. They want to make your life better. God doesn't want to take something from you. He wants to give something new to you, something greater to you. But he can't do something new if you keep doing the same old thing. So don't return to your vomit, Solomon says. And the third one, and this is where it gets even worse, okay? But, but I'll say this. I don't think there are very many of us uh, of this group here. But the, the third one is the seed of the mocker. Here's what Solomon says about a, a mocker in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 7. He says, Whoever corrects the mocker invites insult. Whoever rebukes the wicked incurs abuse. Do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will love you. I don't actually think we have very many mockers at New Life. 
And that's not to say that we're, we're so great or, or anything else, but here's why I don't think we have very many mockers. We've had mockers come into New Life from time to time, but they only last about a week or two because every week at New Life, here's what we do. We want to challenge ourselves to grow and learn more from a God who knows and loves us more than we know and love ourselves. And a mocker is always thinking to themselves, I'm the smartest person in the room and I always know all the answers. So a mocker comes into church and hears that there could be something different and they get ticked off and they storm out. So mockers usually last a week or two weeks. And they come up to me in a huff about how I did everything wrong, and then they leave and they never come back. Why? Because they think they're the smartest person in the room with nothing to lose. I actually had a, a mocker come last spring, and this is one of the saddest stories that I may ever tell about a relationship. I had a mocker come last spring, and I could tell he was agitated. It was a husband and wife, and, and, and he was agitated the whole time. He sat in the front, came in late, sat in the front, got up two or three times, kind of huffed his way in and out of the service. And, um, and afterwards, his wife came up to me. She ran up, tears in her eyes, and she said, I've never heard about God, and I committed my life to God today, and I'm a follower of Jesus today. Tears in her eyes. And she had had this wonderful, life-changing experience with a God who loves her. She had a conversion experience where she went from trusting in herself to trusting God. And, and you could just see that she, that she was so excited. And then her husband, who had left about 10 minutes left in the message, he was out in the lobby, and he came in to me. And, and his wife told him this whole story. And this husband, by the way, he claimed to be a longtime Christian. That's what he told me. I've been a Christian my whole life. Okay, that's fantastic. Good, good, that's what I want. And she told him her story, and he could not have cared less about her. Here's what he said to me. You're using the wrong version of the Bible. You're using the wrong bread at communion. You're doing this wrong, and that wrong, and this wrong, and that wrong. And he pointed out five or six things that I was doing wrong. And then, I'm not joking, he stormed out with his wife behind him, and her tears of joy turned to tears of sorrow, knowing that she would never get an opportunity to come back, and they never have. So I don't believe there are a lot of mockers here because you just don't last very long unless you're willing to learn from a God who loves you. But my hope for you, my hope for you is that you don't work for a mocker. My hope for you is that you're not married to a mocker who's, who's sitting at home right now. If you're, that my hope is that your parents aren't mockers. But if they are, if they are, I want to encourage you, stay away. Give them space. Because a mocker not only is taking themselves down a path of destruction, all they know how to do is hurt and belittle and intimidate you. And while God would love the mocker to come to the seat of wisdom, more often than not, the only way the mocker gets there is by hitting rock bottom and going down in flames. And I want you to keep space from the mocker so that you don't go down in flames with them because I love you too much for that to happen to you. Now, when the mocker hits rock bottom and goes down in flames and seeks God, can God transform their life? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the transforming power of God. But listen, listen, this is not someone that you want to wrap yourself around. So I'll say this as I wrap up. Oh boy. I'll say this as I, as I wrap up. Two things to move us, two ways to move us to the seat of wisdom as we wrap up. The first is this. Commit your life to a God who loves you and allow God's wisdom to guide you. 
That's the first way to move towards the seat of wisdom. Commit your life to God. It's one thing to know the truth and know what to do. It's another thing to, to partner with God and have the power to do the things that you know are right. Most of us are doomed to sit here and repeat the things we should not be doing apart from God because there's certain things that we do and we go to bed and we think to ourselves, I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to drink that again. I'm never going to look at that again. I'm never going to go there again. And then a day or a week or a month later, we find ourselves doing it again like a dog returning to its vomit. And the Bible tells us the reason why that happens is because we have sin controlling our lives. That's why we can't live in the freedom God wants us to live in. But, but, and here's the good news of God. When Jesus died on the cross, He paid the penalty for our sin, and he said, I can replace the sin in your life with my Holy Spirit living in your life, and my Spirit will give you the power to live in the wisdom of God. So you're going to have something controlling your life. It's either going to be sin leading you down the path of the fool and the path of the mocker, or it's going to be the Spirit of God leading you to the path of wisdom and freedom and joy. And I want for you freedom more than you know, more than you know. God wakes me up at night praying for you, for your freedom. I want that for you. So If you've never committed your life to God, we're going to pray in just a second. I want to give you a chance to commit your life to God, to experience the power of his spirit and the freedom of his partnership. And the second one is this. Join a life group. Join a life group and create some friends who are walking in wisdom together. Proverbs 13, 20, Solomon says this, walk with the wise and you will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise, be with wise people and you will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. I want you to link arms with people who are wise, who are seeking God's wisdom, and they will lead you to wisdom. So join a life group, and Pastor Angela is going to come out in a second and show you how to do that. But I want to pray for you right now, especially if you're here and you've never committed your life to Jesus. I want to pray for you that God would, would stir in your heart and that you would start that journey with him. So would you, would you close your eyes with me? Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I want for my friends in this room so badly that they would know you and know your wisdom and know your love and know your truth. So Holy Spirit, even right now as I pray, would you guide my friends to the truth that you love them, that you have great and mighty plans for their lives. And it starts as they walk with you. Holy Spirit, would you, would you just call people to yourself right now? And if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, but you can sense God calling you, because I believe God is calling some of us here today to commit our lives to him. You can sense God calling you then I want you to repeat this prayer after me and commit your life to Jesus. Start a relationship with him. You can say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you love me. And I believe that you gave your life on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And I want to have a relationship with you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you show me how to walk with you every day from this day forward, even as I walk into eternity? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.